Welcome to Alderman Farms Radio, where life on the farm is about to get real. And now, here's today's program. So, I'm very excited about this opportunity. I take it seriously. I'm honored uh, to have the opportunity to stand here before you. This is a serious matter. Anytime we have the opportunity to open the Word of God and and to teach from the Word of God, it's a serious matter. Um, But I'm very excited about the opportunity. Now, uh, raise your hand if you're aware that we have begun or are beginning a Bible study on the book of Jude. Everybody's aware of that. Uh, By the way, there are some books on the back table back there. And there's also a list of questions for the ladies because Christy was thoroughly disappointed in me sending out questions. She wanted a whole lot more questions, so she did some more. And if you didn't get them in the email, they're back there. If you're not on our email list, you need to be. And so see me afterward and I'll get your uh, email address. So we're not, we're not going to be talking about Jude per se in here this evening, but Jude is going to start our discussion. Jude is, is, it's a unique little book in a lot of ways, but I think perhaps the most fascinating feature of the book is it's the only letter that I'm aware of where the author says, hey, I wanted to talk about something else. You know, where he says, I was very eager to write about what he described as our common salvation. But the Holy Spirit pressed another urgency upon him which is what we're going to dig into for the next uh, six weeks in our, in our Sunday evening studies. Now, let me be clear. We have no way of knowing for sure what he would have written had the Holy Spirit allowed him to write about our common salvation. But we might see a clue, actually two clues, one in the beginning of his letter and one in the end. If in, in the opening verse... When he identifies his audience as those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for or by Jesus Christ. And then another clue in verse 24, which says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory... I want to ask you this question. Again, we're trying to... Brother Chris sometimes talks about using your Holy Spirit imagination, sort of a sanctified imagination. We don't know what Jude would have written, okay? But thinking about on our Wednesday nights, as Brother Chris has been going through our confession, specifically what he has described as the umbrella of salvation, which includes the doctrines of regeneration and repentance and faith and sanctification and preservation and glorification, which of those aspects of our common salvation do, comes to mind when you see the words in verse 1, called, beloved, kept, and in verse 24, keep you from stumbling, present you blameless? What part of salvation comes to mind by what's brought to mind by those phrases? And that's a question you can answer if you, if you want to. Yeah, preservation, yes, but specifically the preservation of the saints, the security of believers. I think, I can't prove it, I think Jude had on his mind the security of the believers to whom he was writing. 
And had the Holy Spirit not pressed upon him the need to write about earnestly contending for the faith, he may well have written a letter talking about that. Simply because he drops two pretty good hints at the beginning and the ending that he wanted to, and, and it was important as we'll learn in our study of Jude, that he's calling people to war. He's calling people to a battle. And so isn't it good to know that if you're going into battle, you're secure? Isn't it good to know that you can't die? Isn't it good to know you can't be defeated? So here's what we're going to do for the next little while. And I sure I haven't timed this because it was short notice. And so if we're still here by Friday afternoon, you'll understand why. I want to spend a few minutes talking about the eternal security of believers. That if you've been born again, your, your state of born againness is secure. And it's secure because of three, because of the son's promise, because of the son's sacrifice, because of the son's position, and then also because of the father's sovereign power and the spirit's testimony and his seal. I hope you've got a pen ready and a piece of paper. If not, I can get these because we're fixing to go through a ton of scripture references because I want to, I want to equip you to walk out of here knowing that if you've been born again, you can't get unborn again ever. That once you're born again, if you are redeemed, you can't get unredeemed. And the, the biblical, the biblical case for that could not possibly be any more solid than it is. So first let's look at the son's promise, sacrifice, and position. Christ's promises. John 5.24. I'll say those twice so you can write them down. John 5.24. This is Jesus saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Now listen, eternal life is either eternal or it's not. If we can lose it, it's not eternal. Does that make sense? Eternal life is eternal. Also, has passed from death to life is past tense. Believers have passed from death to life. Christ did not say those who believe are in the process of passing or that they might pass or that they could pass, possibly. No, no. He says they have passed from death to life. John 6.35. John 6.35. Christ said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger and he who believes in me will never thirst. Does never really mean never? If it didn't, do you think he would have used that word? He says, those that come to me, he who believes in me will never thirst. Hunger and thirst for what? Any ideas? You can answer that out loud. Thirst for what? Righteousness. We know that because in Matthew 5, 6, in the Sermon on the Mount uh, that Chris Preached through some so many months ago, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. When a thirst is satisfied, there's no more need to thirst. So here in John 6.35, Jesus says, if you come to me, 
thirsting for righteousness, you'll never thirst again because I will provide the righteousness you need. John 637, two verses down. John 637, two verses down. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Not might, will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. There's no revolving door for those who come to Christ. There is a certainty that they will come if the Father gives them to Christ. And then once they're there, they're there. John 10, 27 to 30. John 10, 27 to 30. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Listen, and I give what kind of life? Eternal life to them. And they will never, again, do you suppose that never can mean here anything other than never? He says they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Now let me ask you a question. If Jesus says no one can snatch me out of his hand, does no one include me? Can I snatch myself out of his hand? No one is no one. No one can snatch a believer out of Christ's hand. Even that believer himself or herself. Verse 29, My Father who has given him to me has given them to me is greater than all. And no one, which includes me, no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And then Christ says, I and the Father are one. Now think about this. I love this image. And I know it's kind of taken a little liberty with the Trinity because there are three persons, one God, uh, and, and, you know, we don't have time to, to delve all into the Trinity, but, but Jesus himself is painting this picture. And so I'm going to go with it and, and trust that I'm not going to cross any lines here. Christ said you are in, if you are a believer, Christ said you are in his hands. Right here in this passage. That you are in the hands of Christ. Okay? And that would be safe enough to keep you. Right? Could anybody pry you out of Christ's hands. Well, he said, no, no one can snatch them out of my hand. But imagine the father now clasping his great hands around the hands of the son. Just imagine that. What or who could break that grip? Now, can I be bold enough to think that though nothing else in the universe can break that double grip, I can break it from the inside out? You can't lose your salvation. You can't walk away from it if you wanted to. If you're a believer, you won't want to, right? If you're a believer, you won't want to. Do me a favor and turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And we're going to start reading down in verse 35. Romans chapter 8. Actually, I'm going to give you a freebie. While you're turning there, we're going to start in 35, and I'm going to read Romans 8.1, because to me it's one of the absolute sweetest verses of Scripture in the entire Bible. Paul says, There is therefore now no 
condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I want you to let that sink in for a minute. You know what that means? There's no wrath left for you. God has no no wrath left for you if you are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Christ drank it all. He drank every drop, believer, of the wrath that was intended for you. So there's none left. Now, if you're not in Christ, it's all left. So let's go down to verse 35, did I say? Yeah. Starting in verse 35. Listen to this. Talking about how secure are you if you've been born again? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, Paul says, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, which is Christ. For I am sure, listen, that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's a question. Name one thing that falls outside of that list that Paul just rattled off. You can't do it. Ain't nothing. There's nothing. There's nothing that falls outside of that list. And Paul made sure of that because he said anything else in all creation that can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Beloved, if you've been born again, if you've been redeemed, there's nothing, nothing, nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ. Nothing, including yourself. Who or what will separate us? It's impossible. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. Many will tug at them, but none shall snatch them away. The devil will give many a horrible tug and pull to get them away, but he shall never take them out of the great shepherd's hand. Their old friends and the memory of their old sins will come. You ever have memory of your old sins come tug at you? Spurgeon said, the memory of their old sins will come and tug at them very hard and very cunningly. But the Savior says, no one can snatch them out of my hand. Some say a man can climb out of those hands all by himself, but Christ says they will never perish. If you've been born again, you can never perish. Spurgeon again says, Who can loosen the grip of that hand which was pierced with the nail for me? My Lord Jesus bought me at too dear a price to ever let me go. Man. My Lord Jesus bought me at too dear a price to ever let me go. So that's Christ's promise. Let's now look at His sacrifice. And these get a little shorter. Relax. As we move down the list, the little groups get a little shorter. Christ's sacrifice. Write this down. 1 Peter chapter 1, 23-25. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 23-25. It says, you, for you have been born again 
not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. If you've been born again, it was the word of God that that birthed you. And the word of God endures forever. And that which the word produces endures. Does that make sense? How about this? In Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Acts 20, 28. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock to the, to shepherd the church of God, which, listen, he purchased with his own blood. Now, what are we talking about? We're talking about the security of believers. People who have been legitimately born again, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. They've been purchased with his own blood. You reckon he's going to ever get a refund? Is that even possible to think about? Is he going to bring you back to the customer service desk and say, I want my blood back? No. What a foolish thing to even think about. Right? But that's an argument. In uh, That's another proof that, that builds the case for the security of believers. The Lord shed his blood for you, beloved. He can't get that back. He, he, he doesn't want to. Will he not protect and secure his purchase forever? He will. Hebrews chapter 10. I love this. Hebrews 10, 14. Write down. Hebrews 10, 14. Listen. For by one offering, he, which is Christ, perfected for all time those who are sanctified. You get that? For by one offering he has he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Some some translations say are being sanctified. That's fine, but most of them say has perfected for all time. In the past tense, this verse is very explicit. Has he really perfected a believer for all time? or only until he or she manages to fall away. You know, there are, we will, as we get into our study of Jude, we will, you know, Jude didn't get into very many specifics about what the false teachers were teaching, but we will make application in the weeks to come about some false ideas that are out there today that we, you know people who believe certain false ideas and a very prominent one is that uh, uh, that Christians can lose their salvation, that they can fall away. Not if this verse is true, right? And this is how you prepare yourself to argue that. You've probably got people you love who live in misery for fear of losing their salvation. Well, if they've been, now we want to make we don't we don't want to ever give people assurance if they're not Christians. Because then we give them assurance, a false assurance. We don't want to do that. But we can lovingly say, dear brother, dear sister, if you've been washed in the blood, if you've been born again, if you've been redeemed, you've been perfected for, for all time. Listen, perfected in this sense 
in this verse speaks of justification. Remember, I, I may have missed that under my umbrella. Uh, I did when I li- listed the umbrella of salvation that we've been going through, Chris has been going through in our confession talk. Um, the uh, regeneration, repentance and faith, justification, sanctification, perseverance, or preservation, and glorification. Well, perfected here in, in Hebrews 10.14 is speaking of justification, which is completed at the point of salvation. Period. Boom. You are justified. You are made right with God. And you can never be any more right with God than you are at the moment of your justification. It is a legal uh, a declaration by God that you're innocent based on the righteousness of Christ. Not because of you. So that's what, by one offering, He has made justified for all time. He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Sanctification continues, but justification is complete. A believer is perfect in God's sight because of Christ's righteousness, not the believer's righteousness. And if that is true for gaining salvation, listen, it's true for keeping it. If it were up to me to keep my salvation, I couldn't keep it for 15 seconds. And neither could you. But thank God it ain't. Thank God that the keeping of our salvation is based on the same criterion that gaining our salvation is, and that is purely on the merits of Christ. Period. All right, so we've looked at Christ's promise. We've looked at Christ's sacrifice. We've looked at Christ's... uh, Let's look at Christ's... Position. I have no idea how long I've been talking or how much longer I have, but we're just going to muddle on through. Christ's position. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 23 through 25. Jesus, uh, Jesus chapter 7. How about that? It kind of is. All of them. Every chapter 7 is basically Jesus chapter 7, right? Hebrews chapter 7, 23 to 25. Hebrews 7, 23 to 25. The former priests, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Listen, verse 25. Therefore, he, which is Christ, is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Forever, verse 25 says, therefore he's able to save forever, or is it only until they fall away? Forever. Forever. Because he always lives to make intercession for them. Do you realize that right this very minute, the Lord Jesus Christ is interceding for you? If you are a believer, if you've been born again, He is interceding for you right now. Right this moment. Wow. Okay. Christ's promise. Christ's sacrifice. Christ's position. Now we're moving on to the Father's sovereign power. We're talking about how the believer is kept secure. How does the Lord... Uh, preserve believers from the point of salvation all the way through glorification? How is their eternal security secured? Because of Christ's promises. 
because of Christ's sacrifice, because of Christ's position. And now we're going to see because of the Father's sovereign power. Look in, uh, I hate to do this, but Jude, verse 24 and 25, here's just a little sneak peek. Don't tell Chris we talked about Jude. And then we'll move on. But the last couple of verses, now to him, listen, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory. You reckon God, if God is able to keep you from stumbling, you reckon he wouldn't? Do you mean to tell me that God who is able to keep you from stumbling might not? Come on. Nobody believes that. God, and there's plenty of other biblical evidence we'll get to in a minute, that proves that He's not only able, but He will. And He promises to do it, to keep you from stumbling. Okay, forget about you. 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 21 and 22. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 21 and 22. Now, He who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, listen, who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. So two things. Did He seal us or not? Did He seal us or not? What happens when something is sealed? It's protected from whatever you're sealing it. It's protected from the weather. It's protected from botulism if you're sealing food and whatnot. It's sealed. It's protected. But then also, who gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. What does that mean? A promise of more to come. Right? A promise of more to come. If God gives you a pledge, will He not fulfill it? course he will y'all the evidence there it's mountainous it is mountainous evidence that if you've been born again you're secure philippians 1 6 here we go let's go back remember jude oops i wasn't supposed to say jude again back in jude he who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless you reckon he'll do that what did paul say in philippians 1 6 Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you might, huh, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God is not only able to keep you from stumbling, he will. In fact, I just remembered a verse that I forgot to write down. I better not hunt it. It's in Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Look that up, Patty. I think it's in 1 Thessalonians 5, and it's about presenting blameless. If the Father began a good work in you, raise your hand when you have it. If your Father began a good work in you, if He saved you, then there is no chance for you to be lost. He will, with certainty, finish that that he started. He will, with certainty, bring you through to the end. Listen to Spurgeon again. Can you tell I like Spurgeon? I like Spurgeon. I'm doing all these Spurgeon quotes because uh, Chris don't like him. No, I'm kidding. That's a jo- that's an inside joke. He'll get it. <laughs> He'll get it. The saints of God are safe. This is Spurgeon. The saints of God are safe because the Father gave them to His Son. 
He did not give him a temporary inheritance. Y'all, he didn't give him a temporary inheritance. He did not bestow on him something which he might in time lose. Will the Lord Christ lose what his father gave him? I picture my blessed Lord looking at each one of his believing people and saying, my father gave you to me. Man, no, he cannot lose what his father gave him, end quote. Yes, ma'am. Read it. Yeah, yeah. Well, wasn't quite, I mean, it's kind of one of those Jude things. He can, but will he? But we've seen elsewhere that, that in, in Philippians that he not only can, but he will. But there's another reference to it in First Thessalonians 5.23. Uh, that the Lord is going to present you blameless if you've been born again at the coming of Christ. Man, I don't know about y'all, but they, I mean, y'all may be thinking, what's the big deal? This is a big deal. This is a big deal. Do you realize the assurance that this ought to give us as believers that no matter what the devil throws at us, our eternity is secure if you've been born again? I know I keep saying that. Your eternity is secure if you've not been born again, too, but it's a whole different game. And I'll mention that. I won't, I won't get away without mentioning that. All right, so we've, we've said that uh, believers' eternity is secure because of the promises of Christ, because of the sacrifice of Christ, because of the position of Christ, because of the Father's sovereign power. Now let's briefly look at the Spirit's testimony and His seal. The Spirit's testimony and His seal. The Spirit's testimony, very simply, in Romans 8.16, Romans 8.16, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And then the Spirit's seal, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, which says, in him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, question, would God really seal us, being omniscient, meaning he knows everything, if he were to know that we could somehow wriggle out of that seal, would he, would he bother to seal us. No. That seal is permanent. So you were sealed, believer, in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given a, as a pledge of our inheritance. There's that idea of the pledge again. With a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. If you've been born again, you are God's own possession. He owns you. And he takes care of his stuff. He protects his stuff. Do you think the devil can take anything out of God's closet? Do you think the devil can take anything that belongs to God? No. And if you think that you can lose your own salvation, who do you think you are? What kind of powerful being must you think you are? If you're more power, you have to think you're more powerful than God. 
Because God has said nothing can separate His children from the love of God in Christ. And so, if you think that you can lose your salvation, you're calling God a liar. And you are, I think you're an idolater because I think you have a, you're, you're worshiping a false God. Because the God of the Bible don't lose his stuff. He doesn't lose his stuff. And if you are born again, you are his own possession. Let me run through a few more verses that sort of, those are the categories, okay? Those are the main categories. You're a secure believer because of Christ's promises, His sacrifice, and His position. You are, you are secure because of the Father's sovereign power. And you are secure because of the Spirit's testimony and the Spirit's seal. The entire Godhead, the Trinity, is involved in keeping you secure. Here's some other scriptural support. 1 John 3.9 1 John 3, 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. Tommy, how is that a proof of being eternally secure? Well, if you're a believer, you know why. Because when you slip into sin, it wears you out. The Holy Spirit wears you out. And you feel guilty. And that is a sign of being born again. Okay? A tender conscience is a sign of being born again. That's proof of being secure when your conscience is tender and, and God won't let you sin. Won't let you enjoy it. 1 John 2.19 They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. That's an, that is an argument from... Preservation, that, that um, believers who are secure, they don't leave the faith. And so you'll have to wait till you're dead to take advantage of that proof. <laughs> but it's there. If you've been born again, your security will be proven by the fact that that doesn't mean you never sin. We don't teach that here. We don't believe that here. I love the way Ray Comfort says it. Uh, Christians do sometimes fall into sin. Non-Christians dive into it. Non-Christians dive into it. Christians fall in and then they get up and they, and sometimes they may stay in it a while, you know, but it's not a permanent state of, of sinning or, or, and they can't enjoy it for any season. First John, here's another one in first John chapter five. I love this. This is great. First John chapter five, 11 to 13. 1 John 5:11-13 And this is the testimony that God gave us what kind of life? Eternal life and this life is in his son. Think about that. Chew on that for a minute. Eternal life, we've already talked about that. Eternal life is what kind of life? Eternal. It's eternal means it doesn't end, okay? It's not life that comes to an end when you decide to fall away. No, it's eternal life. It's either eternal or it's not. And it is. 
But, but, that, but that's not all of what this verse says. I love this. How can we be so sure that the life is eternal? Because where is it according to that verse? Let me say it again. That God gave us eternal life and this life is in His Son. This life is in His Son. What does that mean? Eternal life is in Christ. Do you understand the implication of that? Eternal life is not found in our obedience. Eternal life does not reside, even though we are commanded to be obedient, we should be obedient. Of course we should. But not to earn or maintain our salvation. Because eternal life is not found in obedience. Eternal life is found where? In Christ. In Christ. Man, that's so big. Verse 12, whoever has the Son has life. Listen, whoever has the Son has life. Not whoever remembers to keep repenting for sins that they might not even know about. Now listen, Christians ought to be the best repenters on the block, right? Christians should live a life of repentance. Don't nobody go out of here saying, Brother Chris, Tommy's in there telling you we ain't got to repent. I didn't say nothing of the kind. Of course we should repent. We should be the quickest to repent. We don't repent just once when we get born again. We repent all the time. When the Holy Spirit illuminates some sin in our life, our immediate reaction should be to repent to God, to turn away from that, from that sin, right? That's not, I'm not saying we don't repent. No. What I'm saying though is, whoever has the Son has life. That if you are born again, you never have to wrestle with the fact that you're not repenting good enough to stay in God's favor. Does that help? Does that help anybody in this room? God can help you repent better. But don't let the devil jump on your back telling you you're not repenting good enough so you probably are not in God's favor anymore. No, because you know who's in God's favor all the time? Christ. Christ is in God's favor All the time. And if you are where? In Christ? That means you are in God's favor all the time. Not because of anything you've done or able to do or not do, but because you're in His Son in whom is eternal life. Man, I hope that helps you. I hope it helps you. Let's see. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. (laughs) Finally, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have what kind of life? Eternal life. Eternal life is what kind of life? Eternal life. Eternal. All right, I'm, I'm, I really want to get to this. 
I really want to go one more, and then we're going to pray. I want you to turn to John 17 for me. John chapter 17. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer. Jesus is high. What are we talking about? We're talking about what I, I imagine Jude may or may not have had on his mind when he said that he really, really wanted to, to write about our common salvation, but the Holy Spirit pulled him up short and told him, no, I have something more pressing. I don't know that Jude would have said a word that I just said. I'm not putting words in Jude's mouth. I don't know that. But I, but I do think he gives us some cues there in verse 1 and down in verse 24 that he may have had the security of believers on his mind. And so what does that look like? How can we know that we can be secure? Well, so far we've said there's a plethora. Of, that's one of my favorite words, plethora. I like to use it as often as possible. I like to use the word marsupial too, but it doesn't fit in anything I'm saying tonight. But there's a plethora of verses that support that we are secure because of Christ's promises. Because He promises that we are secure. Because of His sacrifice, we're bought by His blood. Because of His position, He's at the right hand of of the Father interceding right now. Because of the Father's sovereign power. Because of the Holy Spirit's seal and the Holy Spirit's testimony. And let's look at the words of Christ in John 17. I'm going to start reading at verse 11. And we're going to read down to verse 21. And then we'll take some prayer requests and uh, close out. Thank you. for You've been a great audience so far. Jesus said, and I am no longer in the way. Jesus is praying, right? He's praying to his father. And he says, I and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, listen, keep them in your name. Let me pause there. Will the Father deny the Son's request? Hold up, hold up, hold up. Jesus said, Father, keep them in your name. You reckon He'll do that? You reckon that the Lord, that the Father would say, Son, I don't know. No, indeed. Here Christ prays specifically for the eleven apostles, but we're going to get down to verse 20 where He extends the prayer to me and you. To, to believers in the future. Alright, so uh, still in verse 11. Which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Verse 12. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And of course we know, he's talking about Judas, and Judas was never a believer, Right? Judas is not an example of one who lost his salvation. Jesus himself called him a devil. He said, and one of you is a devil. Okay, so Judas is not a believer who lost his salvation. Verse 13, but now I'm coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, listen, but that you keep them from the evil one. Again, will the Father say no? Of course not. Verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. 
17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. That is a request, folks. He is requesting of his father, making another request of the father to sanctify believers in the truth. Again, I maintain the father always does just as the son asks. What do you think? Can I get an amen there? You reckon the, the father always done as the son as the son asks? I think so. Verse eighteen: As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, and for the, and for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Verse twenty: Here we go, boys and girls. This ought to get, man. If this doesn't fire you up, your wood is wet. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. If you're born again, that's you. Scott Young, he's talking about you right there. Isn't that amazing to think about? Jesus Christ prayed for every believer in this room right now. Right there in verse 20. And he asked for the Father to apply all that, not just to the disciples who were with him, but to us who came to faith in him through their word. How amazing is that? Wow. That they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Well, I don't know if I've convinced anybody. I've convinced myself. I'm secure. I've been born again. Ain't nothing you can do about it. I've been born again. I've been redeemed. And you can't erase that. Why is that important? I think the reason why we see in the little epistle of Jude, where Jude starts out with a little taste of that and then finishes it up with another little taste. Does that, does that make sense? Do you all see that in verse 1 of Jude and verse 24 where he is kind of talking about the preservation of the saints? He is kind of talking about the eternal security. And I got to tell you, John MacArthur thinks so. So that, he kind of gave me the idea to, to start thinking along these terms that MacArthur points out, and, and again, we'll mention this in our Jude study, that the reason Jude did that is because it was about to get ugly. Things were about to get ugly. Whereas Christ said false prophets will come. Paul said false teachers will come. Peter said false teachers will come. Jude says they're here. They're here. So it was fixing to get ugly. So MacArthur postulates that Jude gave the believers that he was writing to that assurance at the beginning. You're called. You're beloved. You're kept in Christ. And then at the end, he talked about being kept again. So to give them the strength to go into the battle knowing that their position was secure. Because it was going to get ugly. Rubbing shoulders. Again, not to take anything away from our Jude, but you know, the garment spotted by the flesh Jude talks about. When you're rubbing elbows with apostates, you get dirty. And so I think, again, I can't prove it, but I kind of think some of that was on Jude's mind. 
And I hope that it lets you know that as you gird your loins in the coming days, our goal, our hope in our study of Jude is to equip you to be contenders, to be contenders for the faith. Because it doesn't just fall to the pastor and the elders and the lay leaders of your church to be contenders for the faith. It falls to you. It falls to you. If the faith belongs to you, you should be contending for it. And so I hope that as we embark on that and learn what that means, that these verses um, will give you great courage to know that I'm safe. If I've been born again... I, now look, if you're in this room and you may know you've never been born again, you're not safe. And I would just urge you to call out to Christ. I would urge you to look into the law of God, examine yourself by the Ten Commandments, ask yourself how many lies you've told in your life, and find out what the Bible says, that the Bible says all liars will have their part in the lake of fire, and then throw yourself on the mercy of God. The only hope you have if you haven't been born again is to be born again. And you can rest assured that God has no take backs. What he purchases with his blood remains his. Okay, but whereas Romans 8, 1 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's an eternity of condemnation, an eternity of wrath, an eternity of punishment waiting for you if you haven't been born again. Somebody's going to pay for your sin. Either Christ or you. Christ, because He's infinite and eternal, was able to suffer eternal punishment in six hours in a finite amount of time. But because you're finite, it'll take infinity for you to be able to, to pay for your sins suffering in hell. So I don't want that for anyone. If you've got any questions about that, want to talk further, come see me. Come see Keith. Come see, come see Chris when he gets back. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are a God of no take backs. Thank you that your word does not return void. And so, Lord, I pray that, first of all, that I didn't mangle anything or misconstrue anything. And I pray that if I did, you would correct it in the hearts of the hearers. Lord, I pray that it's an encouragement to believers to know that they are secure in your love. That there's nothing in the universe that can separate them from you and from your love in Christ Jesus. Lord, may it make us bold. May it make us uh, desire to worship you for your kindness and your strength. Lord, and just may it make us effective believers as we get ready to learn how to contend for the faith that was once delivered. In Christ's name, amen. Hey, thanks for joining us today on Alderman Farms Radio. We'd appreciate it if you'd subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. Also, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at radio at aldermanfarms.net. And don't forget to find us on social media. We're on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. And our address is Alderman Farms. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll talk again soon.